Hello and welcome to another episode of the Livia's Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Breitkopf. And today I've got a returning guest for a topic near and dear to my heart. Uh, this uh, returning guest is a college counselor par excellence and has trained people in college counseling and has been a teacher. And so we have a, a topic in common that we often talk about, which is study skills. And so we're looking here for some top study skills tips to make your uh, high school and college career more effective and successful. And I'm with Dr. Andy Snyder. How you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me back. Thank you so much for being here. I've had some good conversations with you, so it's always a joy. Uh, I brought you on because I wanted to talk about a topic that we've actually talked about uh, off air quite a bit, which is study skills. Uh, I know you teach study skills class. I've taught a ton of study skills classes. And I think it's a really misunderstood topic. Um, it's often seen as a super boring thing. And uh, I actually see it as kind of like the thing, the thing you do when you're not thinking about what you're doing. So I want to talk about some top, I want to swap some top study skills tips. And I'm going to start off. Um, for me, I think a thing that most students kind of dabble in but don't take seriously and it can have a huge effect on uh, academic success in high school, college, and beyond, uh, which is keeping a calendar. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of keeping a really good calendar. Um, one of my favorite parts of the Harry Potter series is reading all about Hermione Granger and her color-coded calendars that she gives to uh, Harry and Ron. I think, you know, better than the battle scenes, better than the magic, Hermione's calendars are true magic. I, I just That's just me. I'd like to piggyback on that and, <laughs> and just say I, I keep a calendar and I think that's what's most important. Right. That you don't have a calendar for school right. and a calendar for sports and a calendar for family. Whether it's Google or iCal, all of these calendars can integrate mm -hmm. with each other so yeah. you can find everything in one place at one time. I, I cannot agree with you more. I mean, I think that's in, in, imperative. Uh, you know, I'm old enough that back in the day I would go down to Staples and pick up one of those um, calendar notebooks and, and, and with, with a, a marker and, and pen and just like block out time in my, in my class schedule when I was in college or grad school my work schedule, and for me, my work schedule has always been highlighted in green because green is money, at least in the U.S. And, I mean, if you're listening internationally, thank you so much for listening. Je ne parle pas français. That means I don't speak French. Uh, so, thank you. You know, I, I that's what I would do. And to this day, when I have my uh, calendar on my iPhone and iPad and on my Macintosh, it's all the same calendar. It's shared to all the devices, and my work schedule, when I put it in, is still in green. Um, so I agree with you. And then, but more importantly, not only do I have my calendar, my work schedule, and my doctor's appointments, and my, you know, fun activities on the weekend, and when I, you know, buy tickets to see Captain Marvel, and I download the the tickets to my phone, and it sends the the, the movie time to my calendar. Not only do I have all of that, but my wife has signed in her calendar on my computers, on each of my devices, um, with her passcode. And so I see her calendar and her work schedule. And I've even signed in my calendar on my daughter's brand new iPad that she has because of school. And she now has my calendar and when I'm available and when I can take her places. And so now we're all sharing that information across devices. That makes it just such a powerful tool 
that everybody knows where everybody is or needs to be at any given time. Right, and, and I think it kind of replaces the giant wall calendar, whether you used a, a paper one with pen or a dry erase one in the in the, in the the stereotypical uh, calendar in the kitchen that the family shared. Um, you know, my, my mother-in-law who lives with my wife and I and our kids had tried to keep that up over the years. And if you don't remember to add something to it, if you don't remember to write it down, it, you know, you, you write it in pen because of the glossy nature of the paper, so if something changes, it's a hassle. Or you have something written on a post-it or a napkin and it's stuffed in your pocket. It's right. not where you need it to be. Right, and, and I agree with you. I think that is the biggest danger uh, when you write stuff down or you try to remember things. And I'm, I mean... Uh, I'm not a big fan of remembering stuff. I like to write stuff down. I think that's an important study skill, and this is a huge part of that, is writing stuff down and keeping track of your appointments and when you're going you're going to be where you're supposed to be, and then sharing that across everybody who needs to know that information. You know, if you're a high school student or uh, if you're a high school student or a parent of a high school student, sharing calendar information because we all have cell phones now. I think is essential to not only knowing where everybody is, but holding yourselves accountable. It's not about me holding my wife accountable. Certainly not. She's a grown woman. And it's not about her holding me accountable. It's not even about holding the kid accountable. It's just about setting appropriate expectations and holding yourself accountable. I'll add one piece to the puzzle, and that is that teachers should be sharing classroom calendars with students. Mm -hmm. This can be done with Google Cal or Google Classroom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that a lot of teachers are discovering. I mean, it depends on the school and the teachers and how tech-savvy they, they think they are. Sure. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't think a lot of schools and teachers are 100% like up to speed yet. I mean, I still know a lot of teachers who are still trying to figure out the smart board that's been around for 10 years, and I don't blame them. I mean, some of those things are challenging, and you don't get a lot of training on that. I mean, when you're a teacher, you go to school for teaching. You also go to school for the topic you're teaching. If you're going to be a math teacher, you're spending half your time in math classes, half your time in teaching classes. You're not in computer science classes. That's true. I think that the teacher's job is not just teaching. It's to help the learning process mm -hmm. and one of the key steps in that is not just doling out the assignments but helping students understand when the work should get done right. in order to do as well as possible on the assessment. I agree completely. Yeah. Uh, so do you have a, a top study skill uh, practice that you feel is super important? Whether it's middle school, high school, or college, I think that too often teachers just give the ultimate due date for the project. Mm -hmm. We have a test on this in two weeks. This paper is due at the middle of the semester. Mm -hmm. Or this problem set is due on Monday. And all students do is put that due date in their calendar. Mm -hmm. The study skill that I want to emphasize is chunking out some interim due dates mm -hmm. and putting those in the calendar. So if I have a physics problem set of 12 problems due a week from today, right. I want to put on my calendar due tomorrow three of the problems. Right. Do the next day another three and another three and another so I'm not looking at my to-do list calendar mm -hmm. for the first time on Sunday night and realizing in a panic 
that I have my full problem set due tomorrow morning right. in class. And what you're talking about is project management. That's really what that's you're talking exactly about. That's exactly what I'm you know, talking about. And I think that's absolutely imperative is that once you have a calendar set up that is successful, you can then do long-term planning right. and long-term goal setting. Set up a project, uh, set yourself up for success in a project by figuring out what are the steps to completing this project successfully and in a timely manner and in a way that doesn't drive me insane. What is the very next thing that I have to do to right. move this project along? And one of the things that, that really holds up students or, or, or gives students an excuse to fail is seeing a project as one big thing. I mean, there's this old terrible vaudeville joke. Uh, and if you're a vegan, please don't listen to this because it might hurt your ears. Um, but the old vaudeville joke is, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. And that's the thing. If you have a giant project and you're trying to like take it all at once, you're setting yourself up for failure even if you manage to pull it off by the skin of your teeth or the seat of your pants or whatever metaphor I'm going to slaughter next. The, 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 the best way to complete a project successfully is to not see it as a project but as a series of small individual tasks that can be completed in a relatively reasonable amount of time. At least that's what, from my perspective, the way I like to look at it, the way I like to talk about it with my students. And I think as adults, we all talk a good game to our students and our kids, mm -hmm. but we all remember that high school book report assignment uh -huh. that we were given at the beginning of the semester, and all I had to do was five pages a night to right. get through the Three Musketeers by spring break. Yeah. And I ended up having about 110 pages to do over the last two weekends. So uh, I was in the school musical junior year, uh, Hello Dolly. And uh, so that took up so much time. So I had a major paper, and I don't even remember what it was on anymore. I think part of the reason I don't remember is because I was delirious. But <laughs> the, we, the, we closed the show with the Sunday matinee, and then I got home, and then the paper's due Monday. And I have to write this, you know... 20-page paper. Before the cast party. Uh, I The cast party was actually Saturday night. Oh. The, the, the teacher was really good about that. She hosted the, catch, uh, the, the cast parties at her home on Saturday night so Excellent. that we would have a safe party with no uh, untoward behavior like alcohol. Um, so Sunday matinee is over. I rush home. It's 4 o'clock, and I start writing this paper. And uh, I'm, you know, by the time I'm finished writing the paper at three in the morning, I have the chills. And as it's printing out on my dot matrix printer, I'm, I'm lying in bed, shaking, I'm shivering so hard. And I ended up sending my dad to school on Monday morning with the paper so it would be handed in on time. As I got taken by my mom to the doctor's office and got diagnosed with chickenpox. So it's like it all kind of came crashing down on me at once. And that is the worst possible situation. That is the last what I call an all-nighter that I've ever held in my life. June, spring of junior year. It's like that taught me a lesson. We've all done it once. And then we learned our lesson. Yeah. And what we hope to do is impart to our students and our kids, don't do what I did. No, no, no. That was awful. That was an experience and a half. So I think that is an excellent point that you make. I think project management is a very powerful tool that, and here's the thing about schools. I'm actually a huge advocate of public schools. I think the public schools in the United States actually do a really great job, um, you know, compared to what schools were teaching 50 or 100 years ago, we have students graduating with, you know, who've done AP physics and AP calculus and are taking such advanced classes and are learning things. 
You know, I, I read a book by one uh, education theorist who says that the average high school graduate knows more about the human body than doctors in the 1600s. Wow. Uh, based on just like cell biology and and understanding how blood flows in the human body, like the average high school student, more knowledgeable than a doctor in the 1600s, that just blew my mind. And he and he laid it out and proved it in in this in this uh, essay article he was writing. It was just amazing to me. So I think we actually do a really good job as a society. And I obviously we could do better. There's a lot of schools that aren't fulfilling this, and that has a lot to do with stuff that isn't outside of our purview right at this moment. But even with all that, um, you know, schools don't get to teach study skills. They're, they're teaching the topics, math, reading, writing, you know, English literature, history, and other social studies, sciences. They're not teaching how to learn these things they, right. because they don't get to, not because they don't want to. I got to tell you, the people I know who are the best at study skills are teachers. They just are because that's how they live their lives. You know, and so I think that's the problem is that a lot of times students don't get this from their teachers because the teachers have to keep up with the frameworks of whatever state they're in and they don't get to teach them the study skills. We hope that the students pick it up through modeling, right. whether from the parents or the teachers, but I think more times than not, students have to go through a trial and error process, right. have to go through that all-nighter before they realize what they need to do to manage their time and their lives. And, and just to piggyback on what you just said, my next major study skill that I am passionate about is long-term studying. Um, one of the big things we're talking about with that, that all-nighter is cramming. And I even students who've gone through that all-nighter experience and hated it still don't understand what studying for a test really is. And a lot of students spend the night before an exam rereading what they've already read and think that is what studying is. And they do it for three, four, five hours the Thursday night before a Friday test. And that, it just, it just drives me up a wall because that's not what studying is. That's not what effective studying is. That's what, that's what studying has turned into. But that's not what it should be. I would take those five hours of studying that a student's gonna put in Thursday night before a Friday test, and I would do an hour on Thursday, an hour on Wednesday, an hour on Tuesday, an hour on Monday, and an hour on the previous Sunday. Spread it out and, and, and do a little bit each day in the week or more before the test. That's the first thing that you can do because you're still spending the time, but rather than trying to cram it all into the night before, you're spreading it out, which actually increases the chance that you'll remember what you're doing, right. at the very least. And the second thing about this cramming is a lot of students spend their time rereading things. And rather than rereading, I would rather students do more effective active studying, which involves, as you're reading things for the first time, whenever, whenever the assignment was assigned, take notes. Write stuff down. Whether you're a hands-on, haptic, kinesthetic type learner, or you're a, a visual learner, or if you want to record your voice into uh, the Voice Notes app on your phone while you're reading and take notes that way, because you're an auditory learner, Take notes while you're reading because as you do that, you're going to better learn so you don't have to reread what you've already read. And the second thing is active studying does not mean just passively rereading. It means creating something. And I'm a big advocate of creating study guides and mock tests and doing that to be more active in your studying rather than just passively rereading. Totally agree. I love the idea of students creating a test for the upcoming assessment. 
And you can do that a lot of times based on the homework assignments and quizzes uh, and what the teachers told you in class. I mean, teachers are pretty good about giving you a good idea, most of them, not all of them. Don't send me, don't at me on Twitter about the, the, this one teacher who's terrible. Yes, we get it. Not everybody's perfect. There are millions of teachers in this country. 99% of them are good to excellent. You get that 1% that uh, they drive you up a wall. I've been there. I get it. I, I have had that teacher. But the majority of teachers are amazing, and they do a really good job of clearly indicating what they think is important by simple things like repeating things, giving multiple assignments on the same topic, emphasizing things. They, and those are just even before they even say, this is on the test. I mean... <laughs> You know, they're, they're good about that. So use that information. You can create that mock test. You can create that study guide to focus you in on the important stuff. That's an excellent advice. So any more uh, top tips for you on study skills? Some things that you're passionate about for study skills. I get a lot of students who ask, how can I improve my grade? I'm already doing okay. I'm already doing well. I'm already doing excellent. How can I get from a B plus to an A minus? And I suggest what I loosely call the three-minute challenge. Okay. So every night when you finish your homework in that course, go on to something else, finish your homework in another class, and then come back to that English course, that math course, that science course, that world language course for three minutes. What would you do for if you had an extra three minutes to spend? Would you review the conjugation of that irregular verb? Would you come up with a great question to ask in class the next day? Would you do a little more studying of George Orwell's Animal Farm? What would you do in only three minutes, five nights a week? Mm -hmm. And just that extra three minutes, five nights a week, will, I challenge you, get you to that next grade tier. 15 extra minutes a week doesn't sound like a huge investment, but you know you invest time to save time. And I'm saying that three minutes five times a week mm -hmm. is better than 15 minutes once a week. I actually agree with you. I think that is a great point because I'm a big fan of spreading it out and not trying to cram it all in into one thing. Um, you know, it's, it's more about the repetition of the experience and, and valuable focus time than just hitting a, a timer on your phone or your watch or whatever. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I mean, this has been really useful. And I actually learned something new now with this three-minute challenge. I'm going to start uh, exploring that and implementing it with some students of mine. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And thank you at home for listening. I, if you have any questions or thoughts or uh, you want to at me anyway, it's at Livius Pod on Twitter. If you leave us a comment or a question, we'll get back to you. And if we get enough good questions, we might do a whole episode just on that. Uh, please remember to like, fave, star, whatever if you like this episode in the podcast listening app of your choice, whatever it lets you do. Uh, please hit that share sheet. Share this episode with your friends, family members, colleagues, coworkers. Let them know what you're listening to. In fact, even share it with your enemies so you can rub it in their faces how smart you are. And of course, please subscribe. That way you get episodes downloaded to your phone or other device as soon as we post them. That way you're not searching for us every time. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, let's keep learning. <laughs>